take your Bible this morning, if you would, you can hold your place in uh, Exodus chapter 15. That's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, man, just looking forward to what God has to say to us. And if you've ever traveled very much, I'm sure you can relate to what I'm about to say. You know, when our family was planning our month long sabbatical, we chose to go away to to get out of town, to travel, to go on a journey of sorts. And this is our second week back. And as we were planning our trip, we researched where we were going and we would get online and we would chart out our trip, the the directions we were going to take and kind of the route we were going to go and what we were going to do. And I mean, we got really excited about that. And it was about 100 days from our, the day that we would leave, we began to count down. Heather downloaded uh, an app on her phone that was a, it was a, a vacation countdown. And every day we'd wake up and she'd say, 99 days, 98 days, 97 days. I mean, every day. OK, so we counted this thing down and we counted it down because we were so ready to get away and rest and spend some time with our family. We longed for the destinations and we were excited about the experience that was before us. You know, when you travel, not only do you plan for the great time that you're going to have, but you also plan for the unexpected things that might happen along your trip. And because I've had those experiences in the past, I planned this time. And, you know, I I planned for things like flat tires. And so I took an extra jack. I put my little jack in my car and if you've ever had to change a tire with that jack that's already in your car, ain't happening, okay? So I put my little jack in the car. I prepared for a dead battery, so I took my jumper cables. We we planned on the possibility of replacing parts. I packed my toolbox, but I left it at home. But that's another story. And then I, I planned for a complete break, uh, complete breakdown, so I had the phone number to roadside assistance, all right? So just want to make sure we're covered for the breakdowns that might happen on our trip. And man, this trip was so smooth. It was so good. We didn't have any trouble. No flat tires, no dead batteries. No, well, we did have to replace one little part, a little you know, light signal, little blinker bulb. That's all we had to do on this trip. Didn't run out of gas. And praise God, I didn't get pulled over and I didn't get a ticket. Amen. <laughs> Miracles do happen. And everybody said, amen. Yes. That's like the first time ever I've been on a trip, you know, 3,500 miles. Uh, I felt good about police. They would see, I I just wave, you know, (laughs) slow down. And uh, so we plan for those things. And, um, you know, when you plan and you're you're on the trip, you're on that journey, you can expect that some things are going to happen. And when those things happen in our travels, we get a little distracted from the end goal of where we're trying to go. But. We don't allow those things to derail the journey. We get a little grumpy, a little upset, but you know what? We take care of the problem. We get back on the road and we ultimately get to where we were trying to go. And what I want to say to you this morning as we kind of make our transition into what we're going to talk about this morning is that life, the life of God's people is a journey. It's a trip to a final destination called heaven. Did you know that? Have you thought about heaven lately? How often? I mean, like, how often do you think about heaven? Is it like once a day, once a week, a couple times a year? No answers. Okay. All right. So it kind of goes along with the study that I saw. The study says that a lot of people, uh, in fact, 75% of Americans say that they believe they're going to heaven when they die. 
if they're good enough. And so people people want to go to heaven. People believe, you know, beyond uh, reasonable doubt and beyond what the media might say, there are people in this world that believe that heaven exists. And they believe that there's an afterlife. And a lot of people, I mean, most people want to go to heaven. There are some people that say, you know, I look at my life and there ain't no way I'm going to heaven. There are probably people here today that would say, you know, I don't really think that I would go to heaven when I die. But the fact is, is there is a way that we can know that. And we're going to talk about that. But what we're doing today is we're going to talk about Heaven. It's our second message in our Rewind series, and you might wonder, if heaven is something that we're going to experience in the future, why are you talking about it in a message called Rewind? And this is why. Because it's a concept that many of us have learned about, but we often don't think about. Some of us have probably even forgot about it. We we give it no thought at all. And the reason is, is because life gets so busy and overwhelming, we are just focused on taking care of what we have to take care of today. And so heaven's really not a thought. We don't think about death. We live in the United States of America. I mean, we live, the the average age of an American is to live like 78.6 years of life. I mean, I'm 40. I'm starting to think, hey man, I'm getting old, but the reality is I've got a good 40 years hopefully to live. I mean, I'm just getting started here. I'm just cresting over the hill. People say 40 years old is over the hill. No, it's on top of the hill. Okay? It's just on top. We'll talk about being over in November. That's another story. But here's what I want to say to you today is the reason we're talking about heaven is because we need to reflect upon it, we need to remember it, because if we forget that God created heaven for us and us for heaven, we'll start to believe that we have to create our own heaven and our own paradise. And when we fail, we won't be able to live with that. So the next two weeks we're going to talk about heaven. And uh, so if you take your Bible, turn to the book of Exodus chapter 15, and I'm going to pick up here, I'm just going to tell you a story about God's people. So the journey of God's people, it dates back to the days of Abraham. And Abraham was, he's the father of many nations. He's the one that God promised that he would lead to be that father. And out of his seed would, uh, he would fulfill the earth. He would fill the earth, populate the earth. And there'd be many nations born from him. And he told Abraham to set out on a journey to a land that he would show them. And eventually after much travel, they, they came to this place where they, uh, they began to settle. And after some time, because there was a famine in the land, they had to go into Egypt. They went into Egypt for survival. They had to find food. And so they go into Egypt and they just begin to dwell there. It was a comfortable place. And they, after they kind of sit there for a little bit, they, they look back and it had been like 400 years. They were still in Egypt. And what had happened is they had been taken as slaves. They were servants to the Egyptians. And when it came time for them to actually leave, they were forced to stay. And then more than 400 years later here, God used Moses to lead the people of Egypt, or the people of Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea and into the wilderness to what he called the promised land. And we know the promised land to be the land of Canaan or Palestine as we know it today. And there's a, a lot going on between still between God's people and those people called the Canaanites that began way back in the Old Testament. And it's on the news every day. And so as we they were getting ready to embark on this journey as a good leader would, Moses gathered the people around and he wanted to encourage them. He wanted to warn them. But ultimately they were excited that they were about to leave and 
head toward that place that God had prepared for them. And in Exodus chapter 13, verse 3, Moses said, remember this. Say that with me. Remember this. Because those words are very significant. Someone once said that the man who feeds his heart on the record of what God has done in the past will never worry about the future. Do you get that? The man who feeds his heart on the record of what God has done in the past will never worry about the future. And so Moses gathered the people and he was saying, hey, you are God's people. God has prepared us for this. This is going to be a long journey, but God has been faithful and God is about to take us across this desert. He is going to do miracles for us. and He's going to meet every need. And I want you to remember this day. He says, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery for by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. That was the message that Moses spoke to the people that day. And he knew that God had a big vision for the people, that he was leading them to this promised land because God painted a beautiful picture. He gave them that vision. He, he told them it was a promised land. It was a paradise. It was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was a rich land, a fruitful land, and it was to be theirs if they would just go and take the land. God even instructed them on how they were to worship when they got there and that they were to share those experiences with their children and future generations so they would always remember that day and never forget how God delivered them. And so they were delivered. They crossed the Red Sea and man, it was a big deal. God had planted that dream in their hearts and they were excited. They longed for the promised land. So they crossed the Red Sea, escaping death miraculously and powerfully. God led them safe to the other side, all of them. And they were finally free. It was a victory like they could have never imagined. And it was something to celebrate. Moses wrote a song about it and they began to sing this song and they danced and rejoiced. Hey, they were Happy, happy, happy. You ever heard those words? They knew the, the idea and the meaning of what it meant to be happy and to rejoice and have joy in their heart. And so they danced and sang and Miriam, who was the sister of Moses, she led the other women. They got tambourines and they began to play the tambourines and they danced and chanted all in praise to the Lord for his deliverance, for his grace, for his promise, for doing what he said that he would do for his faithfulness. And then you come to 15, chapter 15, the book of Exodus. The party had ended. The celebration was had settled down. The people were gaining their composure. And it says this in verse 22. Then you can circle that word. Then. Then after everything had settled down, after they had finished the party, they were about to set out across the desert, across the wilderness. And Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went to the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and they found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So day one, they journeyed across the desert. They walked, they sang, they danced. And you can imagine, you know, they, they, they walked and they reviewed and they discussed. You know how it is. Like when your team wins and you're excited, you win the Super Bowl. I mean, like for the whole week, that's all you talk about. You can't get any work done in the office because you're just focused on the biggest victory and the greatest moment in all of history for you. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's what I do. Maybe that's my confession. They were excited. 
day one. Day two, they continued the journey. They, they walked on with praise in their heart, but they were getting a little tired. Day three, mouth is dry. They're a little weak. They're like, man, we've got to have some water. And when they finally came to the water, they took a drink and they had to spit it out because it was so bitter. And because the water was bitter, they called the place Mara. The place is called Mara because of them. And I share this story with you today because our lives are similar. Like the people of Israel, we as Christians, we're on a journey. We're on a journey headed to our promised land called heaven. And we don't talk about heaven a lot. We live in a day where preachers are meeting uh, the needs of the people by ministering to felt needs. And we're preaching messages that are going to help you get to just take the next step and get to the next point. And we're not really given a lot of vision on what God really prepared us for. And I'm here today to tell you that God has prepared us for more than this. Amen. He prepared us for heaven. And for so many people, when you're living the journey, it seems like a fairy tale land. It just seems like a dream. But God spoke it and we have to believe by faith that it's real. And we're like these children of Israel, how we come into a relationship with God and we get a little glimpse of heaven and what it might be like and we're all excited. But then about three days later, we begin to see that this Christian life is really going to be kind of difficult. We're going to be, we're going to be tried and we're going to be troubled and we're going to be faced with things. We have to make decisions to go against our nature and, and to live against the grain, against the flow of life. And it's really difficult and so many people get worn down and overwhelmed and they quit. Some just get distracted for a little while. Others are derailed from the journey. And so what I want you to understand is that God is taking us on a trip. This life is a trip. It's a trip to heaven. He's preparing us for it. And everything we do every single day should be for a heavenly purpose and from a heavenly perspective. And so there are three things I want to share with you about heaven from Exodus chapter 15. And a lot of it is about the journey. And this is what I found as I was preparing this message. As much as I want to point you to heaven, as I get into the word, man, a lot of life is about the journey. And it's really tempting to get focused so much on the journey and to talk about so many lessons that we can learn about living life's journey that we get our eyes off of heaven. That's what I found as I was preparing the message. It's a lot like life. We get so busy with life that it's really tempting and really easy to get distracted and get our eyes off of heaven. So I just want to refocus this today. And the first lesson I want to show you is in um, Exodus chapter 15, those first few verses, is that you can expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected, but don't let it derail you from your journey. The unexpected events are those breakdowns in life. Just like I was prepared for flat tires and dead batteries and things, we can prepare for some kind of breakdown in life. And you know what I'm talking about. You understand those breakdowns, those unexpected experiences when life is going well and life is going fine and all of a sudden there's a relational conflict. Something happens in a relationship. Maybe you get news from the doctor that you're ill or that there's there's a life-threatening disease or or whatever it might be. Some of you are are, are distracted by other things. There are things happening in your family. There, there are personal things on the inside. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's struggle. Maybe it's uh, depression. I don't know what your thing is, what your unexpected thing is, when it's going to hit. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe you worry. Whatever it is. Maybe it's a storm in life. Maybe it's a disaster. 
that uh, you've experienced. I mean, we understand disaster. We understand hurricanes and tornadoes and how in one area of the United States it can be fine and, and beautiful and sunny one day and the next day a tornado can blow through there and, and destroy life. And it's never the same. So we understand that term, the breakdowns of life. But as we live life, we have to unex- expect the unexpected, that it's going to happen. And then we prepare to say, how are we going to handle this when it happens? I have to confess, when I was on my sabbatical, I found myself faced with the fact that I tend to live by fear. I have a lot of fear. As a, as a husband, as a leader, I have a lot of fear. As a father, I find that I have a lot of fear. And I'm trying to work through that and, and to, to release that to God. But one of the things that I, I fear is just the, the well-being of my kids. When they're not with, when my kids are with me, man, I'm great and fine because I, I have a lot of faith in myself. Anybody relate to that? I mean, I'm like the best driver on the highway. You don't have to worry about me. What I tell my kids is I don't really worry about your driving. I worry about other people. If you've been on the road lately, you can understand what I'm saying. And so I worry about Hannah driving. And then when I think about Jacob growing up and being, you know, 16 years old and getting his driver's license, oh my gosh. I mean, that just kind of like throws me throws me for a loop, but I I worry about my kids and we tend to live life in a lot of ways by by fear and we get distracted by fear and we get distracted by the fear of failure and we get distracted and derailed by so many things. But it's how we handle those things that that really determine how faithful we've been and and it determines the success of our life and so we have to understand that there will be things that are thrown our way that are tempting us to be distracted and derailed from life. And ultimately, that's what happened with the Hebrew people. A journey that should have taken just a few weeks took over 40 years. They got distracted by their circumstances and derailed from their journey. And as a result, they spent 40 years walking in circles in the desert. That's what happened. They didn't know how to handle the Unexpected. There's a second lesson. Unexpected breakdowns are a great test of our faith in God. Unexpected breakdowns are a great test of our faith in God. And what I've found is when the unexpected happens, when life breakdowns, I tend to react in pity rather than prayer. Just saying, that's that's who I am. That's my first response. To react in pity rather than in prayer. I get upset. I begin to second guess myself. I begin to uh, to dive in this bigger issue and questioning God and throwing all these things up to God. Do you ever do that? Anybody? Do you ever question why things happen? I do. I try to have faith. I would have told you a few years ago that my greatest gift is I'm a man of faith. I have a lot of faith. Then I did a spiritual gifts inventory and... Um, a couple other things, personality profile. And I find that, man, my faith is, is way down on the list. And that my faith isn't as strong as I thought it was. And Israel found that their faith wasn't as strong as they thought it was. Out in the middle of nowhere, in the hot, dry wilderness, the desert, it was tested. In the Old Testament, the wilderness is a, is a picture. It's synonymous with testing. And this journey was a real test to see just how much they believed God and just how much they would trust him, how they respond. Verse 24 tells us 
It says that when they drank the bitter water, they began to grumble against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? In other words, what are we going to do? Instead of rising up and walking on in faith, they were tempted to walk away in fear. And what you'll find later on in like, I think it's chapter 16, they were grumbling more after God did another miracle in their life. And they started griping to Moses, like, why did you lead us out here? Did you lead us into the desert to die? It had been better if we just stayed in Egypt. It was better as a slave. It had been better if we had just stayed there for the rest of our life. At least we had food and water. But what I'm convinced of is that if we don't embrace the tests, the unexpected things in life, we, we, we rip ourselves off from seeing God work miracles in our life. And God can do the miracle, and He will. And He does, and He wants to. He wants to meet every single need, but He can't do it when we're living in fear. Fear is something that grips a lot of our hearts. And, you know, there are two things that I see in the people of Israel that I think we can relate to. Two fears they had. Number one was... Uh, they were f- fearful that they were going to die, that God wasn't going to take care of them, that he wasn't going to be faithful, he wasn't going to keep his promise, he wasn't going to give them food and, and water, he, they weren't going to experience the promised land like they thought they were going to experience. So they feared they were going to die, and then they feared that their dreams would die before they did. They had a fear their dreams were going to die. I can tell you this, I can understand that because when Heather and I were young, we got married. We started dating at like 16 years old. We got married at 20 and we were in church and we were serving God. I'd given my life to ministry. Mind you, I was very young and we had these discussions about uh, having a family. And um, But what if Jesus came back first? And what if we were to, to die and go to heaven? Well, dying and going to heaven and Jesus coming back first was not something we wanted to happen right now because we had dreams of getting married, having kids, having our family and experiencing life. We didn't want Jesus to come back and take us to heaven. That was like a downgrade or something in our minds. We just couldn't, we, we couldn't get our minds wrapped around the concept of what eternity was going to be like. Still can't. But they were afraid their dream was going to die or that they were going to die and they would never experience what God had promised. That's what they feared. When their faith was tested, it failed them. They broke down. They freaked out because the water was bitter. And because the water was bitter, A seed of bitterness was planted in their hearts and they never stopped griping and complaining. So here's a checkpoint for us to take with us on our journey through life. If you find that you're constantly whining and griping and complaining, you might be failing the test. Amen. Might be failing the test. So expect those unexpected things. Know they're going to come. Don't let them derail you. From the journey. Understand that they're a great test of your faith in God. But here's the third thing, and this is where I want us to, if you haven't listened to anything else I've said, I want you to sit up and I want you to listen, because this is the good stuff. All right? At least I think it is. I don't want to let you down. I don't want to build you up to let you down too bad, but here it is. When the unexpected happens, God can do the unexplainable to restore our faith and our focus in life. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever seen the unexpected happen and then see God do the unexplainable? Well, I have too on some on some very elementary levels. And that's what I want to share with you. When when Heather and I, we were about 30 years old, we had twins. We have 11 year old twins. And uh, now they weren't 11 when they were born, of course. But um, 
But they're 11 now. But we had some experiences when they were little. We had a Jeep Grand Cherokee that was kind of, you know, the back seat was kind of small. And Hannah would sit between the two big um, car seats and Jacob on one side, Kelly on the other. And and um, I remember we were traveling out to West Texas. My in-laws lived in San Angelo. And man, it was a hot summer day. And we're driving along. And all of a sudden, we just hear this... This big loud sound and, and my car died and we had to pull over to the side of the road on the freeway. It was on I-20 uh, between Abilene and Fort Worth. We really hadn't even gotten started good on, on our trip. And man, it was hot. There wasn't a cloud in the sky and the kids were sweating and their faces were red. And we rolled down the window. I think we had a bottle of water and we shared that a little bit. And I had very little cell phone service. That was in 03. I'm surprised we even had a cell phone in 03, but we did, and we didn't really have any service. But all of a sudden, this, this car comes along, and they stop, and they offer help, and, and they, um, I can't remember all the details, but I, they, they may have asked, you know, gotten somebody, they went to town, and somebody came to help us, and they couldn't fix my car. And we were sitting there, and my father-in-law was a couple hours away, and we may have used the mechanic's phone to call my father-in-law to see if he could get a trailer to come and pick us up. But we had to sit there forever. And I remember we prayed, we prayed for God to do something about the heat because it was so hot. And out of the Southwest, I'm not kidding you, this big, huge cloud started moving our way. And the wind started blowing. And that cloud came and it blocked the sun for over two hours until my father-in-law came and picked us up on the side of the road. I'm not lying. Amen. God meets our needs that way. A couple months later, we're driving down I-45 in the same vehicle. We got it fixed. Same situation. One kid here, one kid here, one kid in the middle. It was a hot day, and we're driving down I-45, and we're coming into Corsicana, and my car died. I was like, oh, man, what's, what's the problem now? And I got it started back, and then we went a little ways, and it happened again. I said, Lord, just get us back to, to town. And so I started the car back, and right as we're getting to the exit, Corsicana, the car died. And I mean, I just want to get out and start, you know, start pushing, get us there, Lord. And we, we did, we made it to the exit. We rolled down the exit and across the street is a Jeep dealership. And we rolled into the parking lot and walked in at 15 minutes before they closed and said, our car is broken. I don't know what's wrong with it. They said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give you a free rental. Hey, there are perks to having babies in the car in the middle of summer. Your car breaks down. We're going to give you a, we're going to give you a free loan car. You take it and you stay in a hotel and, and right across the street was a comfort inn. We stayed in the comfort inn. They called us that morning at like seven, uh, about eight, nine o'clock, whatever. And uh, they, first thing that morning, they fixed the car. We got in and we headed home and we made it. See, God does unexplainable things. God does the things that we would say, oh man, it's coincidence or whatever. But give God the glory for that because He deserves it. God's taking care of you on this journey. He will meet your needs. And so as the children of Israel experienced their breakdown moment, God met their needs. It was in an unexplainable way and He restored their faith and focus for the journey. Here's what happened. This is where you want to listen. You have to listen to my story, but listen to this one, okay? Because this, this is where it gets good. So the journey is supposed to be all about heaven. And it's supposed to be all about about how we're going there. And this is what God is saying. God wants us to get there. God is leading us to the promised land. He doesn't want us to break down. He doesn't want us to be derailed and distracted. And But when we do, God comes along and He works a miracle. Exodus 15, verse 25. When the people complained to Moses, what did Moses do? It says that Moses cried out to God. 
He cried out to God. It says he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a what? A log. Showed him a tree, actually. Maybe below that tree there was a limb. But he told Moses to take the limb, to take the log, whatever it was, and to throw it into the water. And it says the water became sweet. It doesn't say that the people drank the water. But how'd they know it was sweet if they didn't drink? Okay, So they drank the water. And they were refreshed. And it met a need. And I want you to look at the word tree. I want you to circle it. I want you to put it in italics or, or, or uh, quotation marks. I want you to... Uh, highlight it if you're using a Bible. If you're not using a Bible, make a note in version or whatever. This tree is significant. I was in Bible college back in 1993. And I had this old grumpy professor. His name was Earl Oldham. And I never forgot this quote because I had to remember it for a test. And he never put it on the test, but I still remembered it. I've always been bitter that it wasn't on the test. That's like the only thing I knew. He said the physical and the material in the Old Testament, they typify and they symbolize the spiritual and heavenly in the New Testament. And, you know, that may not mean a lot to you, but this is what it means. There are some things in the Old Testament that figuratively represent something that we are going to see later on that's going to have great implications about eternity. And this tree is one of those things. Exodus 15, verse 25, verse 27, he he threw the limb or the, the piece of the tree, the branch, whatever it was, into the water, and the water became sweet. He showed the, the tree to Moses, and Moses goes over there and gets it, and I don't think God was silent. I think he was teaching him a lesson about the tree, and so the tree represents instruction. It represents a willingness to obey because, I mean, I don't know about you, uh, sometimes I, I see myself as a Moses type of guy, who's a little skeptical, I don't know if I'd have taken the limb and thrown it into the water and believed it was going to be sweet. But Moses had a willingness to obey and say, okay, God, I mean, I, I saw you part the Red Sea when I stuck my staff in the water. So I'm going to take this piece of wood and I'm going to throw it in the water and I'm going to trust you're going to make it sweet. And so he did. And that's what happened. And so the tree represents a willingness to obey. But here's something else that represents. It represents the sweetness of healing, hope of an abundance and eternal life. That's what the wood represents. Where else do we see tree imagery in the Old Testament? If you go to the book of Genesis, you'll see that the, in the midst of the garden, there was a tree. It was called the tree of life. It was in the midst of the garden. We see tree imagery all through the Old Testament. We see it in the middle of the of the Bible in the beginning of the New Testament. We see it at the very end in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 2, 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Where was that tree of life before? It was in the Garden of Eden. It was in the very beginning. Now the tree is in the very end. It's in the paradise of God that we know as heaven. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 2, it says, Through the middle of the street of the city, talking about the heavenly city, also on the either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 
Revelation 22, verse 14, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the what? To the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Verse 19, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the what? The tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And that's not all. God used a tree for his son to be crucified. And it was on that tree that Jesus drank the bitter waters. It was the tree of Calvary. And on that tree, he endured the bitterness, the wrath of God for all the sin, for all mankind, for all time. And it was on that tree that he tasted the bitterness of death, that we might know the sweetness of forgiveness and the grace of God, the relationship with the Father. It was on that tree that Christ took the bitterness out of our journey. And we know that because in the New Testament, the Bible says that He was tempted in all ways that we were tempted, yet without sin. And so He knows. He knows the bitterness of life. And He is an advocate for us. He knows we're on a journey. But you know what else He knows? He knows that we don't belong here. He knows that we're just passing through, as the old hymn says. And He knows we're headed to another land. The people of Israel were headed to another land and had it not been for the tree, they might not have gotten there. They might have turned their back and walked away. They might have died in the wilderness. But the tree represents the kingdom of heaven, the place that God has prepared for us. And I want you to know, I believe that. I believe that and I want you to believe that. That's our only hope. And today you can have the hope of Eternal life in Jesus Christ. If you just believe what the Bible says happened to Jesus on the tree and that he was a sacrifice for all of our sins, you confess your sin to him and you surrender your life and invite him to come as the man who died on the tree, who rose again on the third day, you invite him to come and be seated on the throne of your life. So that's not where the story ends. Exodus chapter 15, verse 25, and we've, we'll be finished through verse 27. After Moses cried to the Lord, he threw the tree into the water and it became sweet. It says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where, they, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. The word Elam, it means palms. There were twelve springs of water. There were seventy date palms. You can see in this that was their paradise, okay? This was a reminder that God was taking them to paradise, that God was in control. And when they got there, there wasn't bitter water, but there were 12 wells of water that they could draw from and they could regain their strength. And there was a little bit of shade they could, they could rest under and they could be rested along their journey. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is our resting place. 
And he is here to help us. He's the water of life. He's the source of life. And everything about life is about Jesus. Remember what I told you last week is that Jesus said, Brian, I am that I am. He is our am. He is our everything. In my heart, in my desire, my passion. See, I am passionate. I'm passionate that you'd believe in heaven. And that you and I together would live life. Like we believe it. And we would live life longing for it. We have life all because of the tree. God will work miracles in your life if you'll just trust Him. Will you do that? Let's do it together. Let's stand together.